Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. listening to the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast with Mark Allred, Court Lalonde, and Rob Tomlin. You can subscribe and rate our show on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Player.fm, SoundCloud.com, and Stitcher Radio. You can support the show financially by going to blackandgoldhockey.com and clicking on the fanatics.com banner before shopping online. You can also purchase exclusive Black and Gold Hockey Podcast merchandise in the official B&G shop. And now, time to start the Bruins Hockey Talk from three different countries. Enjoy the show. Hey, Bruins fans, welcome back for episode 108 of the Black and Gold Hockey Podcast. Um, excited to be back. Uh, we are minus one today, but we do have a special guest joining us. Pretty pumped about that. Um, Got to get some house cleaning out of the way. Uh, we do have our Patreon Rewards Program winner announcement back this week, so we're really excited about that. Uh, t- stay tuned for that before we go to our second hour prospect talk uh, when we announce the winner. Uh, if you want to be a, uh, eligible to be a part of the Patreon uh, financial supporting team, go to patreon.com slash blackandgoldhockeypodcast today. Donate a buck per episode, max $4 per month. Uh, it's worth it, and we give away some really good prizes at no extra charge to you. So um, we also have to mention the fanatics with the holidays coming up. We're asking uh, kindly that you use the black and gold hockey.com website and click on the fanatics banner for all your uh, sports needs, whether it be the NHL, major league baseball, NFL, uh, whatever, whatever you need, sports, NCAA, whatever you need, please go there, click on the banner and do all your shopping through there. We would certainly appreciate it. Um, Also, 
As, as mentioned, the prospect talk is back. I don't know if I mentioned that, but I'm going to say it now. Prospect talk is back this week um, by popular demand. Uh, I'm going to be doing it alone, but also going to be uh, premiering blackandgoldhockey.com website writer Drew Johnson's new NCAA Bruins segment. So he's going to take care of all of the, the Bruins prospects in the NCAA and, and have his own little segment in the second hour. So check that out. Um, got a welcome to the panel. Like I said, we're minus one. Court is out on assignment uh, in Toronto somewhere. Uh, I'm sure he's mucking it up with some type of Bruins player or players. Or I'm not sure, but yeah, it sounds like fun when he mentioned it, that he couldn't come on the show last night. So best of luck to him, and I uh, hope he enjoys his time. But we do have Rob. Rob, welcome back, my friend. Hey, how you doing? Good. I'm doing all right. I'm in rare form today. I don't know what it is. I think I've had four days off, and I'm... I don't know. Maybe I'm excited to go back to work. It's just weird. Back-to-back weekend. That's what it was. Right. Friday, Saturday. Exactly. Uh, and and joining us today is a returning guest. He's a senior writer at the blackandgoldhockey.com website. Uh, does a fantastic job over there, so check him out. And also follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Craddy, C-R-A-T-T-Y. Mr. Craddy, Critty Craddison, what's up? Pretty crowded. I knew you were going to lead with that. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'm doing good. I'm excited to be back for sure. Awesome. Um, uh, I want to get something out of the way, man. Congratulations on your internship at WEEI, my friend. Thank you. Thank you. I'm yeah. really excited about that. Uh, did you hear the news last Friday that I had uh, got the position of digital content intern for them next semester? Getting started like mid to late January, so I'm pumped, ready to get started with them. Start yeah. a new uh, a new endeavor, so exciting stuff there for sure. Mike's a, Mike's a hard worker. He's uh, going to school at Merrimack College. Uh, is it a journalism degree or, or communications? Uh, communication studies and media. Nice, and he's been working really hard for us, and definitely deserves this uh, this honor. So uh, good for you, and best of luck, my friend. Thank you. Um, let's just jump right in there. Let's talk about last week's games, as we always do. Uh, we have a, a, a nice list of agendas, agenda topics that we're going to talk about. So, um, and Rob was really key on this one, helping me out. Thank you, sir. No worries. Um, so last week, the <laughs> the Bruins went into Detroit and lost in overtime. Um, I thought it was an exciting back and forth game. It come out, you know, with with a point. It's you know it's it, it's still good, but the the game I really I don't know I just kind of want to rush this a little bit. But the Pittsburgh game to me was more exciting on Friday night. Um, you're playing a, a better skilled team, and I thought they matched up really well and skated them. And even though Pittsburgh's really not doing very well uh, this season, they took advantage of of that skill level. Um, and and obviously last night the Montreal boston rivalry if it's still there or not i still get pumped up for the for this game these games and uh and the bruins walk away with a three to two win um very well done by a lot of people big supporting roles uh physical game and it hasn't been that game hasn't been seen in a while so um your your thoughts on the three games this week rob uh the detroit one i missed because it was late at night um, so I, I 
watched the highlights, but I ain't got much to say about that game. But the the Pittsburgh game, I thought, was just all round like everyone stepped up. Um, you had Colby Cave in the uh, lineup. I think that was his first game in the lineup, wasn't it? Um, this season. Yeah, this season. Uh, so you had him playing. J- uh, JFK played the top line center position where Bergeron usually is. Um, everyone was buzzing that game. I think a lot of players played well. I think the the key person that game was John Moore had the puck more than I've ever seen him have it, and he played a really good role. Um, and then going into the Montreal game, I think the rivalry is back. <laughs> I think that game proves it. Last couple of seasons, it's not been there. It's not been as physical. But last night was, yeah, it was really there. I think with the addition of Domi to the team, like they've really stepped up their physical game. Whereas before they were the skilled guys and the Bruins were the big tough guys. So I think the roles have switched a bit, but the Bruins still showed they got some bite left in them and uh, went along with the physical play with them. Really good, really good game. Thought that was the best game of the week. Mike, your thoughts? Yeah, it's been an interesting week. One, they've kind of had to overcome a lot and adapt with obviously the main injuries as of late sticking out as arguably two most important players on the team with Patrice Bergeron and Zidane Char out of the lineup now for extended periods of time. You're going to have to adapt, whether that's first off, it was David Krejci moving up with Bjork and Pasternak, and now you have Jacob Forsbacker Carlson stepping up in a role that is really a lot of pressure on him that he hasn't seemed to shy away from, which is a relief because if he couldn't even do anything in that top line, we'd be in trouble because it's been noticeable that that you're going to have to have guys step up, especially JFK, on that line and your secondary scoring because I'm not saying Marshan and Pashnak have been bad, but they certainly haven't been the same since Patrice Bergeron left the lineup. And the fact that they've grinded out these games where the offense hasn't been high-firing at all times, but the fact that they've got some points out of these games and really proved some resilience has been a welcoming sight and something I'm looking forward to seeing more of because this team could have fallen flat on their faces with all these injuries they've had to deal with. And the fact that they haven't, they're sick. They're in sixth place in the league and they're still amongst it in a very, a very top heavy, I don't know about top heavy, but a very competitive Atlantic division is a, is a great thing to see. And I'm, I'm really impressed with how they're keeping up, um, keeping pace with all this turbulence in their lineup. Yeah. And, and with the, um, the the National Hockey League barometer right around the Thanksgiving holiday, which by the way we we just had in the United States, and I hope all the listeners that celebrated that particular holiday on Thursday uh, last week uh, had a good time with their families and friends and uh, and did it safely. So, um, but it, th- this is the barometer of when a lot of analysts uh, gauge on where you're going to be in the playoff picture if you if you if you're lucky enough to be there and the Bruins are still sitting in that number one wildcard spot, which is good. Um, yeah, they have a, a 20 after 23 games, they're 13, six and four. They got 30 points. Um, stellar home record so far, eight and two. The away record is above 500 needs some work, but I mean, six, two and two in the last 10 is not bad 
for a team that's decimated with injuries, like like you mentioned, Mike. And and just to mention some of those injuries, like Patrice Bergeron was just um, uh, you know upgraded to a rib injury, which is I mean it's not good, but I thought it was his head. Uh, but regardless, I mean he's not going to be out till at least uh, late December. Charlie McAvoy um, expected to be out till at least the twenty sixth of November, which is which is tomorrow, I believe. Yep. Yeah. So also my birthday. Yeah. Happy birthday, Mike. Nice. Uh, tomorrow. It, tomorrow. And Daniel Chara, I mean, expected to be out the middle of December. And Brandon Carlo, same thing with McAvoy, could be in the lineup as soon as tomorrow. So against the Toronto Maple Leafs. So things, I mean, I think this is the right time for everybody to get healthy. But like you said, Mike, this is really good for these uh, younger players that are getting the time up here and the experience under their belt. I think that's absolutely huge. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's not only that they're getting time up in the NHL and getting a bit of experience, but it also, if the Bruins are looking to push for the playoffs this season and are looking to trade for guys, it's showcasing many of your better prospects around the league. That, that's a very well well said angle, Rob. Yeah. And guys like Colby Cave that people believe is probably not worth that much as kind of proved that he could hold down that third line center spot. Uh maybe not for a long period of time, but if a team's looking for a guy to mold into that third line center role, there's a guy like Colby Cave there. JFK's proved that under pressure he's produced uh and he's really shown that he can shut down top guys in the NHL. Um I don't think he's a world beater of a prospect, but if you need a shutdown center guy, JFK is there for you. Um and the amount of defensemen that have shown up, um, I wouldn't be surprised if Connor Clifton's on a lot of NHL radars right now. Um, he's shown that he can really play the game. Um, Law's on as well. Shown, I, I mean, from what I've seen, he didn't have the greatest game last night, but he's shown that he can probably play in the NHL for a team that's looking for that defenseman. So... There's plenty of players there that you could showcase around the league if you're looking to trade for someone. Just like last season, it was that that next man up mentality when injuries happen. I mean, this is just a mirror of what's been going on for the past couple of years. So I, I like the way that the depth is is inserting themselves, uh, and and it's and it's it is by placement, by management, and coaching. But they they have really proven themselves that they. They need to be shown, and their talents need to be, uh, you know, on display. So, it, it's 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 very forthcoming to see these guys. I mean, I've I've followed them since they've left the podium, and it's gratifying for me to see the them get the success. and And hopefully, it sticks around. But more more and more, I always think about NHL success is is the most. So wherever they go in the league, if they don't happen to be working out here, I you know always wish them the best and follow them along. So. Um, moving forward, I mean, looking at the upcoming week, the schedule, uh, they, they do have Toronto tomorrow night and that's on the road. Regardless, that's going to be a tough game. Um, I, I think it might be even a little more pressure than the game last night against Montreal. Uh, yeah, I mean, you're in the hockey Mecca, you're going to be living the life and, and we've seen this Bruins team beat Toronto, I mean, even earlier in the season in Boston, but regardless, need to bring a, a, a 110% effort. 
everybody's got to contribute on this one because I think this is going to be probably one of your tougher games of the year on the road. So, and um, not the last home game of the month is on Thursday, the 29th against the New York Islanders. Islanders are playing uh, well, uh, per se. Um, Hopefully that, I, it's funny. It's funny when you think about the Islanders playing well and Tavares not there. I mean, just just people are are really stepping it up, like like um, Anders Lee and and other players on that team. Um, so that's also gonna be a tough one. And uh, to finish off the week is Saturday, uh, December first against the Detroit Red Wings at home. So um, another one that shouldn't come to an overtime like they did last Wednesday. It's, they should really beat this uh, Detroit team that's uh, slowly climbing the 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 league, le- uh, well at least in the Eastern Conference anyway, climbing up from their their uh, taste of the last place in the East. So uh, it should be a cha- another challenging week. Um, a lot of a lot of players are playing very well right now, like Pasternak, and you know, I think Marchand's playing very well. Jake DeBrusque. Uh, pleasant surprise so far. I think he's really shooken that um, that sophomore jinx air quotes uh, off his back. Uh, what do you guys think? Yeah, definitely. Um, although I think Krejci's probably been the best player over the last week. Oh man, I love I love it. I absolutely love it. And that's for the fact that he just gets second most hate on the team uh, next to Tuukka Rask and. And, and now he's playing well, and it just he, I just like when players like this just prove their value, and he's not going to get eighty to ninety points. That's you know, that's not his yeah. role. But he's got his confidence back as well, and I think that's huge, especially last night and the night before. You could see him trying to stick handle the puck a lot more, trying to go around guys. Um, I mean, that set up pass for Jake DeBrusque in the Pittsburgh game for the one timer. You could see the defenseman thought he was going to try and go around him, so he backed off a bit, and it gave Krejci the time to turn and set him up for the pass. So that that's when he's most deadly is when teams are fearing him, and I think over the last couple of games he's definitely made teams fear his, uh, his ability. Uh, I think he's definitely one of the better second-line centres in the league, uh, but he's one of them guys where he needs his confidence. Otherwise, he's a very... Um, open down play. Yeah, just to say, like, just to attest to DeBrusque and Krejci, um, specifically, Jake DeBrusque has been scoring like a madman. I think Mark hits the nail on the head with kind of like, not like a sophomore slump, but kind of just a little bit of a slow start to that um, second season for him. But he's got five goals in his last six games. He looks like reborn in a sense where the fact the matter was that he just what he was good at the beginning of the season, but there was something missing, and it was that goal scoring touch, and he's really channeled that as of late. And a huge part of his success comes from David Krejci. I think when David Krejci is at his best, it's when he's not overcomplicating things. And I think sometimes when you see David Krejci enter the zone specifically, sometimes he'll enter the offensive zone, he'll try to make one too many moves, or he tried to do something too fancy. I think. A huge part of his success has been David Krejci just sticking to the bases, just keeping things simple and setting up things for his line mates. And when you look at his stats, it's it's all assists. 
He's got two goals and 17 assists. He's just been a playmaking machine. And that's when he's at his best, when he's not overcomplicating things and he's creating space for his linemates and he's creating chances. Yeah, and, and, and I'm, I'm a huge component of, of the belief that Krejci complements his line mates so much better um, than a lot of people in the league, um, a lot of centers in the league. I think he's a very unselfish player, um, but he he slows down he slows down the game to a point that it, it it's it's easy for him to read. And I like I like the way he plays um, on the power play. Uh, lately, it's been on power play one, I believe, because of the the loss of uh, Bergeron. But um, I like the way he plays that like that bumper style, uh, the quarterback on the half wall. But I I just like the way he just like he does he does in fact make people better. I, I don't think that Jake DeBrusque would have this uh, short of a career and as good as he's been doing uh, in the limited amount of NHL ta- um, games that he's got under his belt. Uh, would he be this good without David Krejci, a player like him, and his con- and and his leadership and and so on? So it's good. To, it's always good to have a player like that. I I, I I'm not for the whole money thing and the he should be a hundred point scorer if he's making seven million dollars. I just everybody plays a role. Yeah, and another guy who's getting paid quite a bit of money to uh, play a role. And has turned it on the last two games is uh, David Backus. Um, I think he had a great couple of games. He got what is it one goal, one assist in the last two games, but should have had two goals with the one in Pittsburgh that got called a no goal for absolutely no reason. The most ridiculous call we've seen in a few games. Um, I, I think he's he's really stepped up with a guy like Bergeron going down. You. You need a guy like him, and he's really come to light in that time. Mike, you all right? Yeah, I mean, that that's like a huge part of things, honestly. It really is. Because when, when you have a guy like David Backus struggling, everybody defaults towards the hole that he puts in the lineup with the burning hole of $6 million, just doing nothing. But... I think honestly, it comes when it comes down to David Backus, it's not a lack of trying; it's just a lack of bad. It's just a, the presence of bad puck luck. When he gets the chances, he's not a guy that generates a massive amount of scoring chances. But when he does, he just can't find that. He can't find that hole. He can't find that that open spot. And last night, I think, could be the start of things to come. And I hope it is because when you're getting more value out of him, especially when you're losing. When you you're missing so many weapons in your lineup, it just provides only good things when it comes to David Backus. Yeah, I mean he was a huge part of that uh, that win last night. Uh, I liked the way that he was getting to the net. It was like the old David Backus was back, um, and I hope hopefully this continues. Uh, later on in the game, he looked like he took a hit, and I don't know if it like knocked the wind out of him or so on, but it looks like he. I don't know. I don't want to say he injured his head again, but no, he took a stick to the face. Okay, all right. That yeah. was the double minor. Yeah. Oh, he okay. Took a, he took a stick to the mouth, and he, from what it looked like on the bench, it, he, I think he thought that one of his teeth had been knocked out because uh, they they zoomed in on the bench, and he was looked like he was trying to pull the tooth out, but it didn't come out. So, 
I'm guessing he's alright. <laughs> yeah, but I think they were checking for blood as well and all that stuff. So it it is a bit worrying that whole the whole like ref checking for blood and everything. Right. Um especially with a guy who's got concussion issues when you don't see I don't think everyone saw that it was a stick infraction to begin with. That's what I thought. Uh, I thought it was just yeah. a, a maybe a you know, an accidental hit to the head. Yeah, but... and it was very it was behind the play as well. So until you saw the replay there was just there was no sign of what had happened. Um but I think he was definitely on his game last night. That strip of the puck against Kotkaniemi or whatever he's called. Kotkaniemi. Um, yeah, he. that was an absolute beauty play. I mean, he took the puck and not only that, he beat the defenseman to the puck and just ripped it. So, I mean, I, I've been a big fan of David Backers for a long time, even when he was in St. Louis. I think he's, he's a really good, aggressive uh, grindy player, uh, and when he plays that game, he's on his best. And I think with them putting him on that fourth line, he it just fits his game style. Uh, the four check in, all that kind of stuff. A lot. Of, the top two lines seem to play a lot more of a trap style, where they drop back to the red line, let them try and break out. But that fourth line is just going in, smashing people against the boards, and that is David Backer's hockey. That's how he plays. So that was really good to see. Absolutely. Um, let's get to our um, uh, athletic article of the week. This week is from Joey McDonald. Um, he's the writer for the Athletic Boston. Um, and his article is pretty much gravitating to should the Bruins make a trade? Uh, and I think his I think Joe Mack's speculation started with the Bergeron injury and where we could fill a role uh, or, or we, it needs to be filled uh, with that injury. And if we have to look outside of the organization, back to the what we were talking about before we had a little bit of technical difficulties, um, it, it, Joey Mack was uh, addressing the, the, the concern at the center position and where a spot could be filled. So um, he suggests and mentioned in the article that the Bruins had interest um, during the offseason on a local kid, Charlie Coyle. Um, but it just seems like Don Sweeney's not ready to pull, you know, push the panic button, pull the hand grenade, whatever you want to talk about. Um, I don't know. I'm just, I'm, I'm kind of thinking that maybe Charlie Coyle was an idea while they were thinking, like, who could be that person uh, from the developing depth that will step up into that third-line role. Um, and then, obviously, you have to play that the veteran card, too, and see where somebody can come in and fit and see if they can get some chemistry. Um, and speaking of Charlie Coyle, I mean, he's from, uh, was it Weymouth, Massachusetts? And don't you have family ties to him at all? Or do you guys, uh, does the Craddy family know him very well? No, I um I've actually met Charlie a few times. A good family friend of ours. He's actually like cousins of theirs. His family like a cousins of theirs. So I've actually seen him and had the chance to talk to him a few times. Just at like um, events they have at their house, it's like parties or something or graduation parties for whatever it may be. Great guy by the way. And uh, yeah, I mean, I was psyched to see that they're after a guy like Charlie Coyle because 
I think the ability to play both center and wing is always a plus. He's got a big body. And if you're looking for him as a replacement for, for or reinforcement for Patrice Bergeron temporarily, he also, when Bergie is back, can lot in that third line center role. And, you know, I think he would be just like a perfect fit, say, between Anders Bjork back in the lineup and maybe Denton Heinen or whoever it may be on the other side. Um, yeah, I just really like the idea of this. Whether it happens, obviously, it remains to be seen. But I like the idea of Charlie Coyle a lot. I think he could be a good fit. He doesn't make a ton of money either, so it doesn't like, if you're looking at that, uh, looking at it from that sort of things, he only makes $3.2 million the whole amount um, to take on. But I think he really fits a variety of roles um, if he were to become a Bruin. Rob, what do you think about that? Uh, I like the idea of going out and getting a guy like Charlie Coyle. The only thing to me is the cap hit because the Bruins are playing a lot of rookies for a reason and that's because they're wanting to keep space for re-signing a lot of guys that are coming up. Um, The only way that I can see them doing it is by moving out someone who has salary and that's a difficult thing to do on the Bruins roster because you're either losing someone who's very key to your success at the moment I'm talking about a guy like maybe Kevin Miller who's making 2.5, John Moore who's making 2.5 both guys have played amazing this year Uh, Miller's been out for a bit with injury but when he came back he just solidified that defence core Um, and when you look around the forward group the only guy that screams like moving out cap is uh, David Backus and they're not going to take on that 6 million Um, but Charlie Coyle's a really good player I mean he fits a lot of things that the Bruins would like Um, definitely could play that first line centre role while Bergeron's out and drop down into the third afterwards I mean, even if you played Krejci up on the first line and uh, Charlie Coyle on the second line, it would make it a lot better than it already is. Um, But the main thing is, when Patrice Bergeron comes back, you have both Patrice and Charlie Coyle as penalty killers, which Coyle has been very good at being a penalty killer in the past. Um, And then you can put him on the power play as well. So he's that all-around guy. I think you could play him three-on-three, four-on-four, every situation you can. Um, I I like it. it. Like I said, it's just if you can move the right guy out to make cap room. Um, if, 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 if our listeners don't know who Charlie Coyle is, he's 26 years old, uh, East Weymouth, Massachusetts native, my apologies, uh, and a former Boston University standout. Um, he will be a free agent after 2019-20, and he does carry a $3.2 million cap hit per uh, Joey McDonald's article that we're, is our article of the week. So my concern with all that is 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 where he's from. I I, I don't know why I, I don't want to bring anybody in that is from here any anymore just for the fact of what happened with... Um, What's his name? I already forgot about him. Jimmy Hayes. Jimmy Hayes. You know, and and I, I just think the, the limelight of being home and playing for your beloved 
national hockey team that you grew up watching is a lot of pressure. Uh, I mean, I think Ryan Donato is going to feel that pressure too when he gets back to the NHL um, if he doesn't produce at at a at a constant pace. But he's down in the in the minors working it out too. And, and as as I hear, so is Jimmy Hayes for the Pittsburgh Penguins. But anyway, um, I I. I I don't know. I just I think that pressure is just a little too much, and I think we should look outside if it's if it's going to be uh, if it's going to require a trade. Um, I mean, but regardless, I'm not behind the doors. I don't make the decisions. Probably thank God. But um, you know, I mean, we'll see what happens. I'm just not ready to pull the panic button yet on any of these kids coming in and 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 possibly filling in a role. Um, if you're going to panic and you need somebody get it, get it closer to the trade deadline. Like we talked about in weeks prior, I mean, my target day uh, or, or area of the year is late December, early January. If you, if you need to address a certain need, if you really think that you're absolutely going to go for it and you have the full confidence that you're going to win a cup, then blow a trade away. But if you think that you're a year away or two years away and still need to fill pieces, then, you know, enjoy the ride and, and, and watch it unfold. I'll tell you what, though. If if they would take a guy like Zach Sinition and draft picks, because um, the, the, they're really heavy at center at the moment. Uh, they got Mika Koivu, Eric Stoll, Joel Eriksson-Eck. Um, if they're looking for a winger, there's a guy like Zach Sinition in the system. Um I mean, what you said about bringing in a guy from the Massachusetts area, the Bruins recently brought in Chris Wagner, and I think he's played his role 100% exactly how they wanted him to. Mm-hmm. He's come in as that really fast, really heavy guy, just laying the body out. And I'm guessing he almost leads the uh, Bruins in hits, because all I ever hear is that him hitting someone into the boards every time he's on the ice. Um, I, I'm not too scared about that whole thing because, I mean, Jimmy Hayes is one guy that's been in the Bruins organization from here and really failed. I can't remember how many other guys that have been in that haven't done well being from this area. Um, I, I'm sure there's one more on the team that's from Massachusetts, isn't there? Is John Moore not from round? No. Massachusetts area. No. No. And well, Grizz, Grizzlick is. Ah, there you go. Um, jeez, I should know this. Yeah, but the thing is, like, if you're going to start worrying about bringing guys from there, I mean, how many guys have they drafted from, like, the Boston University, <laughs> everywhere like that? You're going to start panicking then and trading guys out if you're going to worry about the whole Jimmy Hayes syndrome. Um, I mean, the Bruins were linked to Kevin Hayes as well. Uh, and I think that's their type of guy that they're going after because, I mean, if you look at the guys they've been linked to, you got Kevin Hayes, Charlie Coyle. Um, what's the other guy from New York called? The winger. VC? No. Oh. Uh, I can't oh, think Crider. what his name is. Yeah, Chris Crider. Chris Crider? Yeah. Yeah. So, like, those three guys alone are exactly the same player. Uh, big-bodied guys. I mean, Kevin Hayes and uh, Charlie Coyle both play center, both play wing. Um, I think that's... It, it can't be a coincidence that these are the same guys that keep getting linked to the Bruins. It must be the type of guy they're looking for for that third-line center role. 
Um, so, I mean, I'm not, I'm not too bothered as long as a first round pick doesn't go or a key roster player. That's my main thing. If it's a prospect and a few like later round picks, then I'm okay with it. Mike, what are your thoughts? Yeah, I think Rob makes a good point. They're looking at these big, these big players that can you know create space and have those ties to this area. You look at Chris Kreider, former BC Eagle, Kevin Hayes, former BC Eagle, and and Charlie Coyle was uh, Boston University Terrier. And it's really interesting because if you're looking at Chris Kreider, I'm I'm interested to hear you bring up that name, Rob. That's a really interesting option if you're still looking at adding a winger into the top six because I think if you put a big body next to David Krejci like him that can't score, that's proven he can score, I think that adds, adds a really interesting dynamic and that's a name that not everybody may be thinking about. The thing with Kreider is he's got the modified no-trade clause and he's under contract through the 2019-2020 season, but... I definitely think that's an interesting little theme that we're starting to hear with Kevin Hayes, um, Charlie Coyle, and Chris Kreider for sure. Yeah, I'm, I'm guessing with the modified no trade, I'm guessing he'd want to come back to the Boston area if he's been there for university. Yeah, but what um, what what is stopping him from calling his brother Jimmy and saying, hey, should I make this move? Because <laughs> I, I don't think it is like that because Jimmy Hayes has been in interviews before where he said that he underperformed and he understood exactly why people were reacting that So it was, it was on him? Yeah, so he, he took the whole blame. Okay. He had an interview. Uh, who did he sign for straight after playing with Boston? Uh, I can't remember. New Jersey, right? Yeah, and he had an interview there, and he said that um, he understands that he'd underperformed, and he had to try harder, and blah 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 blah. Uh, so I, I don't think it would be the whole like, oh, don't go to Boston, like because I, I don't think that's the same. Plus, Jimmy and Kevin are two very different types of player. Yeah, um, Jimmy's that big guy who had that one year where he scored like I think it was like 20 goals uh, and he looked like that next like big guy who doesn't use his body too much but he's got the strength if he needs it but Kevin Hayes is that little he's like a smaller guy he's got the big body but he's fast as hell yeah. like you watch him skate and a lot of people won't call him a fast skater but if you watch him when he when it really goes for it, he's really quick. Um, and he's found that scoring touch in the last few seasons that he didn't have before. He was known for more of a playmaking style. So, I mean, I'm all good for any one of them three. But like I said, I just don't want to lose like a key roster player or a first-round pick. Because well, you never know with the first-round pick. Rob, uh, Joey Mack has this in his article. Uh, he, he mentions that Ryan Donato, Danton Hyen, or Anders Bjork, along with the draft pick, is is probably a going rate for a, a Charlie Coyle. So, uh, yeah, yeah, and that makes sense because all three of those guys are guys that have can replace really struggled this season, right? But they also they're all guys that can actually replace him leaving on other teams. Like, yeah. like, like he'll easily fit right into a role 
in Minnesota with you know almost seamlessly. So yeah, and I wouldn't be too worried about. I, I know that Danton Heinen gets quite a bit of love from the fans, but I won't be too worried about losing him. He's had a a bit of a sophomore slump this season. I mean, he had a good year last year, but this year he's really struggled. Um, Anders Bjork, I like the Bruins to keep hold of. Yeah, I'm um, not. I'm not fully. I want to see what he can do before we yeah. toss the, the hands up on him. But the same with the same thing with uh, Donato. I think if he finds the form that he had at college, he's going to be a very dangerous player in the future. And some players take a while to develop. I mean, some players have instant success when they come into the NHL, but then the reason they call it a sophomore slump is because so many players have had it. It's not like a thing that um, like one in 20 players have. It's more like, it seems like 50-50. A lot, of, a lot of players seem to have that slump and then they've got to find the game. I, I think the main thing is Donato needs to like stop focusing on what he can do for the team and play that more individual style of hockey that he was known for at college because he was much more of a individual player on his line than he was like a three-player line. If you enjoyed this week's Athletic.com article of the week on our Black and Gold Hockey podcast, head over to theathletic.com slash blackandgoldpod and sign up today. You could save up to 40% off a yearly subscription and get unparalleled Boston Brewers coverage from local writers such as Joe McDonald and Fluto Shinzawa. You also get access to many other popular professional sports by signing up at theathletic.com slash blackandgoldpod. What is The Athletic, you ask? The Athletic.com website is a subscription-based publisher of smarter sports coverage for diehard fans. The model is simple. No ads, no pop-ups, and no autoplay videos that can be very annoying. Instead, readers subscribe for authentic, in-depth coverage written by journalists who know their team inside and out. Please go to theathletic.com slash blackandgoldpod today and be a part of the future of sports journalism. That was a great talk about Joey Mack's recent article about, uh, in addition, the Bruins could have, if needed, with the Bergeron injury. But um, moving on to another center, um, got to talk about JFK and his addition to this this team uh, via injury. Um, but I, I I wasn't a big fan of of him when I saw him in his first game, and I can't give him. A whole lot of crap about that because it is his first game but the more he seems to be relied on and um and that's uh with trust from from Bruce Cassidy he seems to be more comfortable um and I like what I'm seeing the more I see him uh he's he's starting to be a, a really good player down the middle, and 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 what really got me was was when he started playing with with uh, Martian and Pasternak. Um, I think he was a lot stronger in the circle. Uh, he determination to win that face off and get it to one of those guys to make something happen, and then you know get to the net or in the hash mark area where he needs to be for you know a, a return pass from one of those two. Um, I, I, I like what I'm seeing. I just I, I want to see him be more consistent in his games, but unfortunately, this is the Bruins, and, and the way this Bruins team trends, in my opinion, is they're going to play the, the the player with the heavier contract. 
I don't buy into this. If you're if you're the better player, you're gonna play. I really haven't seen that. I haven't seen contracted players that make three or four or five, six, seven million dollars sit for a guy that's on an entry level deal. Uh, so I don't know where we're going with him. I, I, I mean, on one hand, I'm on. I mean, I'm seriously on the fence. One hand, I want to keep him. The other hand is, are they showcasing him? Um, it, it's hard to tell. Um, I, I honestly think from what I've seen from interviews in the past, a lot of people say he's a sponge for like knowledge. Like if you teach him something, he gets better at it straight away. Um, and I think that's why the coaching staff like him so much. Uh, it's not often that a young guy, how old is he? 21. Like it's, it's not often a young guy like that gets thrust into the first line center position. Um, it's it's weird to see, but when you said like that the, they don't often chuck guys down the lineup that are making a lot of money, that's not exactly true. Um, David Backus is playing the fourth line role. Um, guys on lower contracts are playing definitely above him in a lot more minutes a night. Um, last year, I think it was the beginning of last year. Um, Matt Bolesky got chucked down in the minors. Maybe it was the year before. I'm getting lost. Um, he was chucked down in the minors. I think he was making, what was it, $4 million? Um, I, I think it might be a case of uh, best man, best player plays more minutes. Um, guys like John Moore have ended up playing more minutes even when the defense core was quite healthy. Uh, he's making a lot less than a guy like Chara. Um, it's one of those things, though. They, if they are showcasing him, what are they showcasing him for? Because they can't be bringing another center in for him. You've got to think. Um, it's probably for a winger. Um, and who are they showcasing him to? Because the center depth around the league at the moment is ridiculous. So it's very hard to move a center at the moment. Yeah, like when I when I think of um, when I think of JFK's like rise, like such a quick rise in his role, I think it comes in big part due to the lack of tentativeness. When you first saw JFK at the NHL level against Washington, the last regular season game of the year, I think what you saw with him is why the reason you didn't really maybe notice him on the ice that much was he was tentative he was a little nervous and you you know he has the potential to be a skill player a two-way player but you know there was just like there's just a little bit of nerves of getting involved getting into corners and stuff and I think he's completely transformed at the NHL level in terms of his willingness to get in the corners he looks more engaged he just looks more there in terms of being a complete NHL player and no matter how long he sticks around whether it's a showcase or whether he's here for a little bit of time, whether he cements that third-line center role at some point, it's good that we're seeing more in terms of that that NHL readiness when it comes to being you know more prepared for situations in terms of just being a two-way guy. You're going to have to get down in the corners at some point. And that willingness that he's shown recently is just huge and only going to do good things for him, whether it's here or if it's a showcase somewhere else. Yeah, and, and that's going to trickle down to the Providence Bruins when everybody gets healthy, too, is 
is um, you know the the placement and and roster moves and transactions is all going to be just a, a haywire and mess that uh, Jay Leach and Trent Woodfield are going to have to figure out in the middle part of uh, minor pro development. Um, moving on to Tuka Rask and actually Court brought this up uh, yesterday or last night on Twitter. Um, you got to bring in uh, Yaroslav Alak when you talk about Tuka Rask and and it's good to see that this goaltender is, has, has put whatever was bothering him in the past and is, has been really focused on, on getting better and, and, and being a big part of this team moving forward. And I think he has done that. I think he's really shown uh, some resilience. And um, uh, his positioning is, is so much better than it was previous to his, his absence. And uh, I'm, back, I'm fully back on. I really never left the train, but, you know, the, uh, the Halak-Rass tandem uh, could seriously end up in, in, in April of uh, 2019 as being the, the league's uh, best. So it's good to see. Uh, I'm, you know, I've, I've always loved, uh, liked Tuka's game and so on. I, I, I get his struggles and I get the hate that people have for him, you know, but nobody else is stepping into that role. So um, it's just good to see. And I, I think this is, again, a mirror of what happened last season because it's, I mean, it's coming right down to the, to the, to a perfect time frame of when this team turned it up a notch and marched right towards April with, with a, with a vengeance to, to make the playoffs and go further than previous year. Yeah. And last night, I mean, Tukarask put in the best effort he's put in all season. And I think without him, you wouldn't have got two points. Um, the amount of scoring chances for and against last night definitely went to the Habs. I think they had a lot more scoring chances than the Bruins did. Um, it, it's just, like you said, it's perfect timing. And is this going to happen every season where you start off with him cold and you've got to get him warm. Something's got to happen. Um, I'm not sure. Or whether it's something that he can figure out over the off season. Maybe it's more training coming into the season. Maybe it's less training coming into the season. I know uh, players in the past have said maybe they've overtrained coming into the start of the season and it, it doesn't work out for them. So... That's the biggest question mark hanging over his head is the consistent lack of form at the beginning of the season. Um, but, I mean, if he plays like this till the end of the year, uh, the Bruins will be playoff bound without a doubt. Yeah, when it comes to Tuca, the reason for his struggles at the beginning of the season is obviously unknown. But that time off has really seemed to reignite him. And it's obviously been huge because you need you need him to step up, especially when you have so much uncertainty in your lineup and so much going all over the place in terms of uh, roster switching and switching around players and having to adapt to these injuries. It's good to have Tuka Rass back in his role. And he just, like, since he's come back, he just looks more grounded in the crease. He looks just more comfortable in terms of just literally just 
his presence in the crease. He just looks more comfortable there. And I think that's the main reason. He just, like, there was something off at the beginning of the season. He just, I don't know if it was just jitters or something, whatever it may be. He just didn't look like vintage Tukaras. When Tukaras is at his best, he looks he looks comfortable. He's a gamer. And, you know, he can he can steal games. And, you know, he's, he's been a huge help recently. And it's good to have that back because if they didn't have Tuka playing like he is now, they'd be in a lot different situation because he has been what they need right now and more in the crease and just been a huge part of their recent success. What I like about his resurgence, if you may, is his timing, and uh, particularly in his lateral movements. Before the break, it almost seemed like he was a second off, and he was getting beat outright because he's out of position, and he's not ready for that moment. Post-absence, I think that he's very square um, and, and ready for anything that happens, and I think that we're definitely seeing that now. Um, with his with his movement side to side, post to post, um, it almost like he's reading the play three seconds ahead, and when he slides over, he's already got that shot and he's eating it up in his chest. So it, those are really really good attributes to see uh, from a goaltender of his age as a veteran and so on. I I'm still I'm still really high on him, and and hopefully, you know things can things can work out with these two goaltenders because. Like I said, it's just it can look good, but more or less, it's like for me, I want to know what the plan is going further, you know, further with these two and the way they go. Do you let one go on a little bit more of a streak than the other, or are we doing a one for one game? Because each way, if you do, if you split them the rest of the year, I think it's going to be beneficial to both of them. You keep both of them fresh for any type of mom, uh, moment especially later on in the postseason when, you know, you're not having that, that Anton Hudobin type in the background that was only playing 20, 23, 24 games a season. Now you have somebody that's as fresh as you and, and, and obviously has the coaching staff's trust to go in there at any moment of, uh, of, any, uh, of any Bruins event. So just good to see i'm really proud of what's what's been happening and, and the and the and the progress forward yeah and i think they will go with the one game one game situation it seemed that way even when tuka came back so uh I, i'm guessing that's how they're going to keep it all year because you can't tire out tuka now that he's come back into form i don't think that's a good way to go about things by just chucking him back in the fire and being like okay you're back to playing like what 3-1 right so I, I think they should just keep it how it's been working that's the best way to play hockey just do what you do best and then keep rolling with it Mr. Mike <laughs> oh no sorry that's alright uh, yeah uh, I don't know what happened there uh, a little bit of on technical difficulties on my side. I don't know what happened. I was trying to talk, but then I didn't hear anything on my end. Um, but yeah, I think I think having that comfortability is huge, and having Halak has been fantastic. Because when you look at him, as much as we're talking about Tukaras right now, Yaroslav Halak is putting up some of the best numbers in the league in his time, splitting time with Tukaras so far this season. 
and it gives you options when you come to like the potential of playoff season. You know, with a with a tight Atlantic division right now, like it's it's anyone's game at this point. Like the Bruins are the sixth best team in terms of points in the league, and they're in wild card territory. So you look at that, and you think, you know, if you do if you do make it into the playoffs, if it keeps up this way for the whole season, where no matter how high you are, are you up in the league, you could still be in a wild card spot. How the Atlantic is shaping up, you know, it's good to have multiple options in net, you know, because like whether it's an injury or whether you know someone someone's slipping up, whether it's one guy playing better than the, than the other, you know, it's nice to have that comfortability. And right now, you've got both goalies playing at the top of their game, and it's just been huge. Yeah, I wanted to bring this up when we're talking about Yaroslav Halak now. Um, is is the podcast that I heard uh, Jimmy Murphy hosting the uh, CLNS radio Bruins beat it had Yaroslav Halak's uh, agent Alan Walsh on, and uh, Alan was was very honest about his plans for his client, uh, and said you know uh, you know obviously gave out the the options of where he could end up landing up, and and in the podcast I heard Walsh say that. Yaroslav said, I'd like you to reach out to Boston first and see what their situation is, and then we'll go from there. I thought that that was a, a really interesting move on the player, uh, play, you know, moving the chess piece um, and, and to see where it, his direction could go um, without, you know, uh, having Wall say, this is where you should go. Uh, you know, just to, for me, the player wanting to be there and, and saying that over the agent uh, meant a lot more uh, of a great signing, in my opinion. Yeah, and I mean, any goaltender in the league, um, w- when you look at a team, you you play against them every year. You know where they're at. What, you kind of get a feeling of what prospects they've got from like where they're ready. And if you looked at the Bruins, I mean, you they don't have a prospect ready to step up. No, so if they you're don't. if you're Halak, you look at the team and you go, right, they need a guy to come in. Uh they haven't got a guy that they can call up. Why not look to go there? And I mean, you can even you can even look at it from a standpoint of right, Tukaresk usually has a bad start to the season. Is this a team where I can go in and be a one B? Yeah. And like the guy didn't get paid too much either. Like, I mean, what's he on? Two point three, is it? Two point five, two something, like that, 2. 7, yeah. something like that. I mean, that that for two years is nothing when you think about what the guy has done this season. And, and um, to bring it back to a, a Bruins perspective, back in the day when Yaroslav Halak was waived by the Islanders, and then before he reported to Bridgeport. He was heavily favored that the Bruins would wanted to put in a, a waiver claim on him, but it was his salary that was uh, interfering with a move like that, and and the cap hit at the time that the Bruins had. And we even called it on the show saying we that, did, but it wasn't breaking yeah. news though. No, but it was um, it, it was the whole thing that when he was getting waived, uh, I think we said on the show that oh Halak has been waived today. And I think that was when Kudobin was having his worst statistical year ever. Yeah, his first um, year back. Yeah, and we said, oh, Yaroslav Halak is a definite option, but the only problem is 
I think he was getting like five million at the time. Yeah, exactly. And it was a case of, well, you've got guys that you need to pay. I think that was when Pasternak's contract was coming up as well. Mm-hmm. Um, like, you, you can't go and get a guy like that for five million for two more years and expect to just play him as backup. Plus, you had Anton Hudobin under a two-year deal at quite a bad amount. I can't remember what his cap it was, but it wasn't really that friendly. Yeah. So, I mean, it's one of them. I I think Halak was one of those guys where he's always been that either he's a starter or he's a 1B or, like, even... I think, who did they bring in to uh, New York Islanders? Thomas Grice, was it? Yep. Yeah, and they were playing 1A, 1B there and, and doing and, the whole thing. And they brought in uh, Jean-Francois Berube. Yeah, and I mean, Halak looked best when he was playing as a 1A, 1B. I think it was when he was playing as a starter, playing like 60 games a year that he was really struggling because the defense score wasn't good and he was just getting too many shots and too much action so it, also you look at it the Bruins have one of the deepest defense cores in the league which is proven from what's happened with so many guys being out uh, I think it's either Nashville or us for the deepest uh, defense pool so when you're looking at a team that you want to play for do you really want to go to a team that's going to let up a load of shots or do you want to go to a team with a very good defense core mm. uh, I'd pick the good defense core exactly yeah, but, I think I think Halak found a perfect like right time, right right place, right time scenario. Because it's a good point that Rob made that he faced a lot of shots when he was with the Islanders, and now he's playing with a better decor. He can play. He doesn't have so to say the pressure of a starter. He's got being a starter. He's got the one A one B type approach, and I feel like that comfortability has just been huge. Uh, well, it's good for his longevity too, Mike. Yeah, for sure. Sorry about that. No, I'm good. Plus, the guy made five million for I think it was five years. Uh, does he really want to go looking for more money in a bad situation, or does he want to go for a cup with yeah. a team for a bit less money? And I think Boston is the team out there that had the situation where they needed a backup at the time, and I think the only other team that he could have maybe looked at was Toronto, but at the time they had probably four backups <laughs> so i mean boston was the team out there that made the most sense for a goaltender that wanted to be more of a backup than a starter definitely and the last one on our agenda before we wrap it up is is we're going to head out of the crease because that was a great discussion um but uh is is john moore and and as as much as yaroslav alak might be the best signing of the offseason. Um, this guy might be the tie because <laughs> he's he's really he's really shown that he's he's a player. He wants to be here. He's got really good uh, defensive skills, good mobility, and can play the body really well. I think that he's he's really you know brought something to this Bruins team that is the mentality of a big bad brewer. And if you, I really don't like using that, but it just seems like he's got all those attributes. Yeah. And I brought this up because I thought 
John Moore is probably the steal of the summer. I mean, you know what you had with Yaroslav Halak, so that's it's a good deal. I think Halak's probably the one of the better deals of the summer when it comes to cap it, but John Moore, I think, is the steal of the summer because the guy is playing... He's got numbers close to what guys like Matthias Ekholm, uh, Chris Tanev, guys around the league that the Bruins have been linked with in the past. He's got similar numbers to them, has stepped up in every situation he's been asked to do, has played top-line minutes when Chara went out at first. Now he's on one of the best defensive lines, arguably, in the league with uh, Tory Krug. Um, I mean, the guy has stepped up to all situations. Uh, he's played at his fullest. I think he had two games off due to an injury. But other than that, uh, the guy is just stellar. And I think it's four years at 2.5 is his cap it. And when you look at guys like Chris Tanev, I think he's on six million. Uh, Matthias Ekholm, he's probably got a good cap it, but it's still more than John Moore's is. Getting a guy like that who can come in and do this job is unreal. And from his goal the other night, it looked exactly like what he was doing at uh, New Jersey. <laughs> I mean, the guy was named Mr. Overtime because in every three-on-three situation over the space of, I think it was about 20 games, Every time they had overtime, he was scoring the overtime goal. Uh, and that's the good thing about him. is He's defensively reliable. He can step up in the play. He can move the puck amazingly for a guy that size. Um, and his skating is probably the best on that defense core, other than Bartori Krug. So, I mean, you've, you've added in all situations with a guy like that. Yeah, the thing I like about John Moore is the fact that he doesn't like do anything too flashy, but he does the things you need him to do. He he's big and he's fast, but the willingness he has to get involved in the in the offense, like pinching down low, pinching down on the wall without getting burned, I think that's something that's like to be praised because when you see defensemen do that Oftentimes when they pinch down the wall, you see them get burned and you see a two-on-one or a two-on-no or something the other way. And when John Moore does that, he's making sure he's got someone watching his back and covering his point, or he just does it in a situation where he knows he's just simply not going to get burned. And that the IQ he's got there, the hockey IQ he's got in those situations is huge because sometimes you need that extra guy to pinch or it's not just gonna. You're not just gonna create something off the wall every time from your wingers. You're gonna need some help from the back end, and the fact that he has the willingness to do that so frequently and do it as such like high quality, where the fact that he doesn't get burned for doing it is just huge, and it adds another dimension to this offense. And obviously, it provides depth because they've sure needed it. And a guy like John Moore, like Rob said, has played in multiple different situations, and he's done it so well. Mike, when you talk about uh, John Moore's hockey IQ, one thing that I think about is is his and he, and, and when he, he has other people's backs, um, or when somebody has his back, uh, I like what I see when a defenseman and I'm not picking on him, and I don't hate the person or the player, but like Tory Krug happens to have a defensive lapse. You know what I mean? It happens. I mean, yeah. we all make mistakes, but 
what I see in a player like Moore and whoever he's matched up with, if that mistake is made, he's almost like reading it a step slower than anybody else and, and reacts really well to position himself in a certain area of need when a defenseman might be down, you know, or, or out. Um, so I really like that um, IQ uh, to his game. Um, he does read the play really well, and um, I just like his coverage. I mean, very defensive sound. Uh, he does play that shot down, but it's just a lot of good attributes that I like. And and, and, and like Rob said, the money, $2.5 million for four more years, that is so cap-friendly with, with players coming up and – you know, like the McAvoy's that need to be signed, the Carlos and so on. That's the type of contract you bring in as a, as a business and say, we can build on this. But it's not only that. It's guys around him that see that he's playing this hard for 2.5 million. Does it then to like, do the Bruins then turn around to a guy like Charlie McAvoy and go, look, at the moment, John Moore has better numbers than you in the same amount of games as you. We can't give you eight million or whatever he's going to ask for. Like, does it then bring the cap hit down on your team because you that becomes your standard to what a guy plays for? I mean, you ha- you had it with David Pasternak signed for pretty much what Brad Marchand was paid. Uh, I'm guarantee that the Bruins turned around and said, look, you're putting up similar numbers to Brad Marchand. This is what we're going to offer you. A similar deal, similar money. You don't take the crazy crap that Marchand does. Therefore, we'll give you a tiny bit extra. Like, do you then do that with your defense core and go, look, John Moore, 2.5, we'll give you, you play higher minutes, you, you don't make as many, like, passes, you don't, get as many points as him so therefore we'll give you four million like it makes sense to bring guys in like that and then build around that because if you build around the cap it for a player then that's how so many teams have got cap friendly deals in the past um and i think it was the perfect landing spot for a guy like him i mean he signed for four years you've got char is not going to be here in four years so you need that left-handed defenseman to step in there and do something like that. I think during the time that all these defensemen have been out, John Moore has stepped up and has done that. So you've got that cover for a little bit while you develop someone. I mean, in any case, next season, if if Chara is not here, you play John Moore on the top pairing, you play a guy like Euro Vakanainen on the bottom pairing, and you mould Euro Vakanainen into that top defenseman. So it it's brought a really good situation to the Bruins. And also he brings a different weapon that a lot of defensemen don't do. He skates the puck, looks like he's going to skate the puck out the zone, curls round, stops up, makes the pass. I, I think that play that only he does on this team is amazing. If you watch the game last night against Montreal, he did it a couple of times, skates at a forward, makes them back up and then just curls, gives himself plenty of room, plenty of time and makes perfect pass. Great defenseman. Mr. Mike, what do you think for, to wrap it up? Yeah, I mean, 
I think it's interesting the Vakaninen topic when you have a guy like John Moore locked up for quite a few more years. You looked at that deal in the summer and you think, why did you sign this guy for so long? And it provides you with reinforcements because if you lose a guy like Zidane Ochara, whether it's going into next season or the season after, you have a different amount of options. You look at a guy like John Moore, he can play both sides. He's proven he does. he's done well in top four situations or whether he's on the bottom pair. He's proven the willingness to do that. And when you have guys like Erho Vakaninen specifically, you're looking at him with the potential of him being a top pairing or at least top four defenseman at some point down the road, maybe sooner rather than later, or maybe taking a more progressive approach. John Moore just gives you a lot more in terms of flexibility if – oh, Vakaninen's not ready yet, we can slot in a guy like Moore a little higher in the lineup, or vice versa. If is ready to go come next season, you know you have John Moore saying, oh, I'll just play top four or whatever it may be. You still have guys like that that can adapt to roles when other guys are willing to step up or ready to step up in the case of Earl Vakaninen in terms of his NHL readiness. Vakaninen obviously dealing with a concussion at the moment. But if you're looking at that, you've got... Krug, Grizzlick, Jeremy Lozon as an option, Vakanen and John Moore. That's a that's an embarrassment of riches, and it gives the coaching staff a lot of flexibility going forward. Well said, Mike. Um, listen, thank you so much for joining us today. Uh, you brought a lot of great insight um, and a lot of knowledge, which is basically the same thing. I just keep babbling my words. I'm sorry about that, but we appreciate it. Uh, follow him on Twitter at Mike Undersula Karate. Um, thanks again, brother. I really appreciate the uh, the time and uh, covering. We might use you again as uh, Mr. Rob over here is going to be on vacation, I believe, soon, right? Did he go? I don't know. <laughs> All right. Well, anyway, uh, I will mention Hello. the... Hello. Hey. Sorry. <laughs> it's all right, bud. <laughs> um... Real quick, I'm just going to mention the Patreon Listener Rewards winner of episode 108, which we are recording right now, and that is Casey Bowman. Congratulations, Casey. We will send you out a really nice shirt, uh, courtesy of Fanatics. So uh, if you want to be a part and eligible of this uh, rewards program, please go to patreon.com slash Podcast and donate a dollar to be eligible max four dollars per month that's it helps us cut the cost a little bit but we also get a little bit of money to help you uh to give back to you the listeners so it's a win-win for both of us so check it out also please please go to itunes or apple Podcasts and please leave a review and a rating five star rating would be awesome we would appreciate it it just gives us a better um you know scale of where we are in our listenership and uh we definitely appreciate any kind words we can get and any ratings we get. So, uh, again, I want to thank Mike Craddy. Follow him on Twitter at Mike underscore Craddy. Thank you. And uh, also uh, follow my, my good friend Rob at Rob40Bruins. Um, I am Mark Allred. We will talk very soon and hopefully have court back next week. Uh, but uh, take care. Have a great week. And uh, bye. 
Puck gets under the skate of Nikki Petty and Jack Stunika shorthanded breakaway scores. Tucks it in underneath Cole Cece and it's a 1-0 Oshawa lead. Now McLeod mishandles and Donato tries to make a pay. Here's Donato. In deep, Ryan Donato pulls and scores! A highlight reel goal for Ryan Donato. Goes to his left, in front, and that's Trent Frederick on the one-time redirect. Frederick with his fourth, and Team USA now up 8-2. to Hey guys, as mentioned earlier, the Boston Bruins Prospect Report is back, so let's get started. Uh, this is for the week of November 18th to the 25th, 2018, starting in the American Hockey League with the Providence Bruins. The top minor pro affiliate of the Boston Bruins played in two games last week, earning valuable points in both contests. First, the Bees traveled to Hartford, Connecticut to play the Hartford Bullpack. The Bees lost 4-3 to in, in the extra session which saw goals from forward Carson Coleman, who scored his second of the year, forward Ryan Fitzgerald, who got his fourth of the season, and new addition on PTO defenseman Kyle Kaminsky, who scored his his first of the of the season. Zane McIntyre was in net for uh, the night, stopping 18 of 22 shots. The next game, Saturday, November 24th, with the Providence Club displaying a tremendous amount of heart after being outplayed for a majority of the first period against the Lehigh Valley Phantoms. Once the Bruins got the scoreboard got on the scoreboard late in the first period, the momentum shift was in the favor. Bruins' goals came from tough guy forward Austin Fighton, who had two goals his second and third of the year, Cameron Hughes, who also had multiple goal game, scoring his seventh and eighth of the year, and forward Ryan Fitzgerald, who scored his fifth of the year, and is on a three-game goal streak. Dan Vladar was in net, stopping 18 of 21 for the win. Looking ahead of the week, the Providence Bruins have three games starting on Sunday, November 25th, on the road against Wilkes-Barre Scranton Penguins, then back home Friday, November 30th at the Dunk in Providence, Rhode Island against the visiting Charlotte Checkers. Finishing off the week, Providence will play on Sunday, December 1st, on the road against the Bridgeport Sound Tigers. As I record this prospect update, the Providence Bruins are sitting in last place in the Atlantic Division with a 7-8-3-0 record and 17 points in 18 games. Heading down to the Ontario Hockey League, Boston Bruins prospect Jack Stanika has certainly taken his placement back in his junior team in a positive way and a head-up attitude. In 24 games played in the in with, with his Oshawa Generals team since the return from Boston Bruins training camp, he has 9 goals, 21 assists, 30 points, and is currently on a 5-game point streak. In three games last week, the second-round pick in 2017 had a goal, three assists for four points. Bruins prospect and Oshawa Generals goaltender Kyle Kayser is also playing very well since his return from Bruins training camp. And after his injury, after an injury that suffered, he suffered with the Bruins uh, at the NHL camp, uh, he's healed up nicely and is a man on the mission. In 19 games played this season, Kaiser is 12-3 and with one shutout, a goals against average of 2.47, and a 9.30 save percentage. 
The Coral Springs, Florida native is currently on a five-game winning streak. Jumping down to the Quebec Major Junior Hockey League, Bruins prospect forward Jakob Lauko continues to have a solid rookie season in the queue with the Ruin Miranda Huskies. So far in 21 games this season, the young, skilled fourth-round selection of the Bees has 12 goals, 11 assists, 23 points. He recently went on a seven-game point streak where he totaled seven goals, six assists for 13 points in that time frame. And that's your Boston Bruins prospect report for the week of November 18th to the 25th of 2018. Up next is Drew Johnson and his new Bruins NCAA prospect report. Stay tuned. Passion. Talent. Development. NCAA hockey offers all that and its players graduate at a 90% rate. Nick Bukestad. Backhand score! Wow, what a goal! David Backus. And Zach Parisi were stars on campus before the NHL stage. Whether you are a fan or a player, nothing compares to college hockey. Visit collegehockeyinc.com and follow at College Hockey. Champions of the college hockey world! How's it going, Bruins fans? This is Drew Johnson with your Bruins NCAA prospect report. Uh, There are four uh, Bruins prospects in the NCAA currently. Um, Obviously, in the pipeline, there have been a lot that have come through there, so it's it's definitely a good place to be for Bruins prospect in the the past. For example, you got Jacob Fursbacca Carlson, who's playing right now, Ryan Donato, obviously, and those are just a few that have come from the NCAA. you know, right now the uh, the four ones are uh, Jack Becker, who is playing with Michigan uh, as a forward. Cameron Clark is a defenseman with Ferris State. Uh, Curtis Hall, who was just picked up in the fourth round uh, this past summer by the Bruins, is playing with Yale as a freshman forward. And then Jeremy Swayman is the one that I feel the most most Bruins fans have heard about. Uh, he is the goaltender of the uh, University of Maine Black Bears in his sophomore season. Um, so I think I'll just uh, I'm gonna ramble a little bit uh, about my thoughts on some of these players. Uh, some I I get to see more than others. I have credentials to cover Boston University, uh, so I get to see the teams on the uh, East Coast more, which is uh, Swayman who plays with Maine, and then uh, Hall who plays with Yale. Those teams are more in the East. I get to see them a bit more, and I saw them uh, more recently. But I'll touch on Becker, uh, who is in his sophomore season in Michigan. Uh, during his freshman year, he had uh, eight goals and seven assists uh, in 33 games, two of those on the power play. Uh, during his sophomore year, he, right now he's on pace to uh, to break that 15-point threshold that he set for himself. Uh, and during his freshman year, he has three goals, uh, three assists, and that's uh, six points in total in 13 games. Um and he's he's actually a minus six this season, uh, but most recently, his most recent game actually on uh, Saturday against Wisconsin, he scored a goal um, in the second period. Uh, 
and you know he's not he's not in any way Michigan's top scorer. He's not their top forward. Um, but he was a seventh round pick uh, by Boston, so it's not like he's going to be expected to necessarily become this great forward for the Bruins. Um, but you know, if he if he progresses uh, at a good rate, uh, you know he'll make a bid at some point during a during a camp over the summer in some future season. Uh, definitely see him. You know, at some point, if he continues to grow upon his point totals, uh, you know, by his senior year, if he's putting up uh, perhaps a, like a point per game, uh, you know, then I definitely see him signing on with the AHL and seeing where his career goes from there. Uh, Cameron Clark is a, as I said, defenseman with Ferris State. He's in his junior year. Uh, he's actually currently ranked this season uh, as the th- uh, in third. In terms of Ferris State's uh, defenseman in scoring, um, he has four assists in 10 games. Um, he is a minus three. Last season, he was a minus 10, and during his freshman year, minus one. Uh, but you, that, you know, that's a stat that's not too great to go off of, especially when a player is on a special teams unit, such as you know penalty kill or the power play. That's always going to skew those results. Um, it is important to mention that Ferris State is only four eight and zero this season, uh, so you know it's a very it's a struggling team for sure. Um, but it, you know Clark is getting some good exposure. Uh, actually, in his last two games, he has two assists, um, both against Minnesota uh, Minnesota State on November sixteenth and seventeenth. Uh, two assists, both in the third period. Uh, both wound up being losses for Ferris State. Um, but it's good to see him come through with some points. Uh, major concern, uh, I'd say, for Clark this season in particular is penalty minutes. Um, there are only four out of the ten games that he's played, and he he uh, are games where he he had a clean sheet, didn't take a penalty. Um, so he definitely needs to work on his uh, discipline. It seems a little bit. Uh, get those minors down. Actually, in uh, last season, in 30 games, he had 31 penalty minutes, which isn't too bad. But he's definitely uh, trending for a bit higher than that this season with 12 penalty minutes in 10 games. Um, but the, the two players I really want to talk about this week uh, are Curtis Hall and Jeremy Swayman. Uh, Curtis Hall played in the Friendship Four uh, for Yale this weekend, which is a uh, is a tournament in Ireland annually. Uh, in Belfast, Ireland. Uh, so Yale, it was Yale, BU, Union, uh, and UConn in that tournament. Curtis Hall, obviously, with Yale. Uh, and he he scored a goal um, in the consolation game against Connecticut. Uh, so, yeah, Yale lost the first game, but then Hall was able to get a nice rebound goal uh, in the last game of that tournament for Yale. Uh, and it, it was just, it was an important insurance goal in the third period. And uh, what really impressed me about that goal was uh, how hard he worked in front of the net. Uh, he's a big guy. He's, he's 6'3", 197 pounds. Uh, actually one of the biggest guys on Yale at the moment. Uh, I believe there's one defenseman who's uh, about the same uh, height and uh, weight. Uh, but in terms of forwards, he's the biggest, and he kind of used his body to just battle in front of the net. I believe he had like three shots on goal on that one opportunity. Uh, and finally banged one in, and it was definitely a big insurance goal uh, in the third period for Yale. Um, 
Something to note is that, uh, you know, it is his freshman year. He's not playing on the first line. He's in he's in no way uh, a, a top producer for Yale quite yet. Um, he has four points in seven games, which as a freshman playing on the third line uh, is definitely a good sign. Uh, you know, it's usually it, – it's rare that you see a freshman – that is your top point producer. Uh, there are definitely some teams that have that, and those players tend to go in the first or second round of the uh, NHL draft. Um, Hall was a fourth round pick, and you know he's just starting his NCAA career, but it's promising. And the and the cool thing is, I think you know, um, you know, it's those first round prospects that are usually expected to be your top goal scorers, even in the NHL, if they progress that way, and that's a rarity. Um, but, you know, playing on the third line, if he does make it to the Bruins eventually someday, he'll probably be in that kind of bottom six role. So actually getting that exposure to that type of hockey at the college level will probably be good for him. And uh, as he as he grows, as he progresses, he'll probably get some top minutes, uh, get some top line minutes. Uh, but for right now, it's definitely a good experience to just kind of hone his two-way game and uh, get some production where he can, especially in front of the net. Um, that goal was a very David Backes-esque, I'd say, uh, with just, uh, you know, crowd, being uh, crowding the goalie out front and uh, getting a rebound goal in there. Um, Jeremy Swayman, uh, definitely very excited to talk about Swayman, the goaltender for Maine. Um, he it was a fourth round pick uh, by Boston in 2017. And uh, I actually got to see him very recently uh, on the 16th and 17th of November uh, play against Boston University. Um, and he was he was just stellar in that uh, in those two games. Um, in the first game, he picked up a loss. He gave up three goals, but he made 39 saves. Um, and those three goals were actually all uh, when BU was on the man advantage. Um, so it's kind of hard, you know, to necessarily blame him uh, for those goals. Um, what really impressed me throughout that weekend was how hard he battled when there was just complete chaos in his crease. Um, I wrote an article about it and... Uh, in it, I kind of compared it to Tuka Rask or really contrasted it. Because if you think about what Tuka Rask does when there, when his crease is crowded and there's bodies everywhere and the puck is just bouncing around, he just goes into the butterfly and basically makes a human shield of himself, just makes a wall and, you know, takes up as much of the net as he can. And the puck hits him and eventually, you know, goes to the boards and play goes on. Um, Swayman does the complete opposite. He just dives out there on his stomach, just searches for that puck, hunts it down and covers it up. Uh, it's definitely a nerve wracking style. Uh, I'm sure if he, if he makes his way into the, uh, as a Bruins goaltender someday and you see that your heart's going to skip a beat. Uh, especially if that is to occur, say in a playoff game or an overtime, um, uh, I'm not, you know, that, that, that's definitely nerve wracking, but it, it works. He was able to do it and it kind of impressed me just how much he was willing to, uh, to just attack the puck when it was in his crease. Uh, most recently against Quinnipiac this past week in the 24th and the 23rd, uh, Swayman picked up two losses, unfortunately. Um, in the game on Friday, he gave up seven goals and, uh, you know, on the, he gave up, uh, tw- uh yeah, seven goals and made 22 saves. 
Um, so definitely not good in that game. Uh, two saves in 17, or sorry, two goals against in 17 saves uh, on the 24th uh, in his last game. Uh, overall this season, he is 4-7-1. Not a great season for him. Uh, uh, goals against average of 3.09 and a .906 save percentage. Um, you know, during his freshman year, it was more encouraging. He wasn't expected to be the starter uh, and kind of stole the starting position. But, uh, you know, this year he, he has a bit higher expectations. Um, and, uh, you know, he's falling a bit short. But it is important to mention that Maine hasn't been that great either. They haven't been too consistent. Um, the majority of their losses, of uh, Swayman's losses, have been when Maine has failed to score two, uh, more than two goals. Um, so... Sometimes, you know, it's the lack of defense or the lack of offense. But sometimes, you know, you know, when a goaltender gives up seven goals, you're going to blame him for at least uh, one or two of those, you know. Um, but, uh, I mean, that's basically this week in these prospects. I'm looking forward to uh, continuing doing these update for, uh, updates for you guys um, uh, as the uh, weeks go on and there's more to report. In general, I feel... Uh, you know, there's nothing too bad out there. I think uh, the major concern right now is just with Swayman uh, and the Bruins' prospects being how they are. Uh, you know, Vladar and McIntyre are the ones in uh, Providence right now. Um, of course, there's a uh, man. Why am I forgetting his name here? On the Gladiators, uh, he's, that's promising. But um, uh, you know, you definitely want to see more from Swayman and. Because, I mean, right now when you look at all of the Bruins' prospects at goaltending, you don't see one that's necessarily, you know, the beacon of hope. Yes, this is Rask or, or I suppose Halak, but that's a debate for another time. The successor to the Bruins, uh, Kreese. Uh, there's no outright successor. So you basically would just want to see all of these guys go out there. So Swayman is probably the one to really look at right now and hope he can turn things around this season. Um but yeah, if you want to see more about these guys uh, from me, you can follow me on Twitter at DoobSchmoob, D-O-O-B-S-H-M-O-O-B. Uh, you can see my work. Uh, I, I tweet there all about it, but you can see my writing at thehockeywriters.com as well as uh, blackandgoldhockey.com. Um, yeah, man, it's been a, it's been a pleasure, guys, and uh, uh, I'll see you guys soon. Thanks for tuning in to this week's show. You can follow the guys on Twitter at blackandgold277, at Court Lalonde, and at Rob40Bruins. You can also send us an email to the show's account at blackandgoldhockeyblog at gmail.com.